was that moment what I needed to compete against my friend. I knew that was only a chance for me to go or never ever be Olympian. I was going with my javelin to the runway, thinking, shouldn't I be nervous right now? And even that thought, what usually destroys that flow, that focus, it didn't. It didn't destroy. Because for that moment, I was in the right place, at the right time, for the right thing. And it felt so good to know that. Because usually in life, we're always questioning, should I be doing this now? But at that moment, I had no doubt what this is, my day and my moment. I already knew what I will make in the mark, and I did the mark. I got the gift not only to be an Olympian, but this gift of having this feeling completely mesmerized. The feeling that I shared with you about first seduction to that energy transfer. But this one completely said to me, is like, if I experience once this kind of feeling in my life, how can I replicate it to have it more? <laughs> talk a little bit about the health challenges that you've been experiencing in recent years and tell me about how that mindset played out in that situation. Um, I didn't know what he was doing at the biopsy to me, but uh, he already saw the signs, what he needed to do. And then he set me in front of the monitor. He turned it on and he said, look, in your colon, you have a cancer. And you could see right away, like it was right in front of my face, this black spot, huge black spot. Um, so that was my first experience with cancer. My first hardest moment was when I was imagining all my life because of the sports and Olympic experience as uh, superhuman abilities. <laughs> I, I, I admired my body for that, what it was able to do and give me those kind of experiences. Suddenly I'm seeing this black spot on TV and I start hating my body. First time in my life, I really had this repulsion from me and myself. And I knew what not the cancer, but this thought will destroy me because I need to live with my body going forward and to heal it and to actually take care of it, but I hate it. Before, I loved my body only for certain conditions, and love is usually unconditional. So then I thought, maybe now I have a chance to truly learn how to love my body. My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking, 
when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life. And you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. Have you ever felt so frustrated with life that you want to start throwing things? Well, today I'm delighted to bring you a world-leading expert in throwing things here to the Unlock Moment. Inga Stasilionite is an Olympian, an elite performance and leadership coach, whose passion and prowess for throwing the javelin took her to the Beijing Olympics back in 2008, representing Lithuania. I was very kindly introduced to Inga by fellow Olympian Joe Jacobi, who you can hear back in episode 112 of this podcast. A lifetime in sport and over 14 years of working with executives in demanding industries has given Inga profound insights into resolving intricate leadership challenges using the mindset of a competitive athlete. She's worked as a business analyst, built startups, and led the first MIT Sports Entrepreneurship Bootcamp. She brings a deep understanding of the challenges and needs of striving for self-realization on and off the field. She's also a co-founder of the Elevating Leadership Institute. We spoke recently, and as well as a shared passion for ballroom dancing, I was struck by how her experience in sport, in business, and in life has shaped a profound sense of clarity and freedom. And I want you to hear that in her and learn from it. I think Inga is quite remarkable, and I'm so grateful to her for coming on. Inga Stasilionite, it is my very great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. Thank you so much for having me. And I never had this kind of introduction, but it's so accurate. I do love throwing things around. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll get into all the detail of quite how you became so good at that. Now, I'm always curious to hear how people choose to tell their stories and what the start point says about the things that connect their path. So tell us, where do we need to start in your story in order to understand the person you are today? We will start in a math class. Actually, in my lifetime, I have two pivotal moments in the math classes, (laughs) Uh, as unusually it may sound. But uh, until that first math class, what I want to share, my life was quite normal, quite usual, trying to be a good uh, student, good child. Um, However, to that math class came in a man with mustache. He pointed finger to me and he said, who is the Inga? And you will be a javelin thrower. I had no idea what that meant. I thought this man is confused, but I uh, got seduced by his passion and the dedication to his craft. And uh, I followed his path, his direction. And in my first practice, when I showed up with him, he said, we're training for Olympics. So he was the first man to show me what you can love, what you do. You can have a passion for what you do, not only do it for a paycheck. And also he taught me what in life exists, big goals. And maybe some goals who could be scary and you have no idea what they mean. But there are people who also 
are ready to help you and guide you towards those goals, to those bigger opportunities. So uh, I, I am really, really grateful to Antana Stelios, who was my first coach, and he completely changed my life as all coaches with whom I worked with. It's amazing. And tell me a little bit about where you were, how old you were. What was your situation when you met the man with the mustache? Uh, I was around, I think, so 16 or 17, and I was in um, special school for um, science and mathematics. So um, I was doing sports, but not seriously, because my parents, as they do, they usually more prone to lead to higher education strivings than to sports. But uh, if uh, sports would not go uh, against my time studying, then they were supportive for me to do other activities. So uh, uh, I was volleyball player at the time, first ballroom dancer, as you know, <laughs> then volleyball player. And then this is uh, from where coach um, Celiash has recruited me to Javelin. Fantastic. A lot of the world-leading athletes come from a ballroom dancing background, I think. Another one we were talking about in our previous conversation was Mark Cavendish, the sprint cyclist, uh, who also started out as a ballroom dancer. So I think more, more people should start in, in that space. And tell me, what did the training regime look like for somebody who hadn't thrown a javelin before and was now immediately on this Olympic development program that you're on? Um, my coach, he um, had a, a really good understanding how to develop bodies. Um, and he approached it in a very playful way. So for him, it was very important health, character, and then results. Um, so we played a lot of games <laughs> in the beginning because he really he knew what javelin as a sport, it's very demanding technically, and it needs a mature, really strong body to accomplish such a... Um, explosive uh, movements, what, what it requires, because I don't know if, no, if most, I, I believe not so many people tried javelin throwing uh, with full technique, but it requires you to accelerate as, as fast as possible to generate the speed and then you literally slam your body into your own body to generate that speed and power into the javelin to transfer that energy into the implement. So if you do, especially at the last moment of explosiveness of that energy transfer to implement something wrong, even teeny tiny detail, that energy explodes in your body in your shoulder, in your elbow, in your back, in your knee, in your hip, and it hurts. <laughs> it hurts like hell. <laughs> so um, you need to do a lot of training to be able to have a trust and freedom, what we talked about, to go for it, to trust what you already, your body knows all the movements. Uh, and then uh, what it won't hurt, but it will be uh, a good throw. <laughs> I remember a conversation I had uh, a little while back on the podcast with a guy called Stevie Ward, who was a world-leading rugby league player, uh, and he was the captain of the Leeds Rhinos rugby league team. 
And he told a story about one of his earliest memories playing rugby as a child, actually. And it was such an evocative memory of just the purity of sport and the way he'd moved his body. And interestingly, now he's actually together with a contemporary dancer. And it was interesting for me as a dancer to hear the way he described his body movement with the same understanding and depth and richness of feeling as a dancer describes their movements too. Do you remember the first time you really caught a javelin throw and it just all came together and what that felt like? I think so. Even in the first time when I tried it, it was something special, kind of like seduction (laughs) feeling. Um, Because I... My mom really didn't want me to start throwing javelin. And when I told her about this man with mustache trying to recruit me, um, and I was keep saying no to him uh, to go to try, at least for the first time. And um, he kept calling, he kept calling one day, another day. And then it was first snow. It was uh, beginning of November. And he said, I am next to your house, we just go, gonna go on the field, you're just gonna try, and that's it, and then I will stop calling. <laughs> so I, I went into the backyard where, where he was, near to my house, and it was a high school with the field. So he brought javelins, and he showed me how to throw. One javelin I threw backwards. <laughs> Uh, but the one when he adjusted me to 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 show how um, you should go about it, it it went so perfectly that 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 glimpse of what you can be more and bigger than your body. So that the feelings, oh wow, like I can do this big distances. Even though at that time it wasn't big, but for that age with first time trying even for my coach it was impressive what I was able to adjust and coordinate my body for that throw and to have that feeling with that mm, that energy generation you can see literally how it converts into something more than you usually do uh, it's such a seductive feeling <laughs> amazing and your unlock moment is actually a moment on the javelin runway. Tell us about the journey to becoming an Olympian. Yes, it was a very long journey. Uh, I uh, qualified for three Olympics, but only went to one. For the first one, I was a bit too young and it was other competitors from my country who were better to represent. Uh, So I was okay. I have still lots of time, uh, naively (laughs) thinking. Um, second time I qualified, but I had injury, um, and it prevented me to be consistent with my mark. And again, I was denied that spot. And third one, it was 2008 for, this is uh, for what kind of Olympics I was aiming to go to Beijing Olympics. And, um, year before I had the surgery in my shoulder and right at the recovery part, uh, I threw javelin just to try to see if I will be able to utilize and use my shoulder as I used to, because you always have a question before and after surgery if, if your body will be able to do, to do such an intricate and high-intensity movements. 
And then with that halfway throw, I qualified for Olympics. And I thought like, wow, next year when I will do the real training, I will be setting records. <laughs> and it was in 2007. So when 2008 came, I was doing good throws, but I the pressure of making that uh, mark, the pressure of knowing what I'm capable of more, it, it always was starting to cramp my body, to, to really mentally pressure the movements to be shorter, uh, to be more rigid. And I could not just relax because I knew I need to relax, but I also knew how much it's uh, on the line because I, at that time I also was working full-time as a business analyst for a medical company. I trained during lunch hours, after work, before work. So I knew for sure what I won't be able to, for four more years, to have this kind of intensity of two careers. And all those thoughts really piled up to um, have a huge, very stressful moment for me. Um, so when I came to Lithuania for Lithuanian championships, I have a B mark. Another competitor from Lithuania, she had the A mark. So usually priority is for the A mark person. But they also saw how consistent I was with my mark, with my B standard. And another thrower was very inconsistent that year. And they um, said, if I will win Lithuanian championship by five meters, I will go to Olympics because they didn't expect me to be able to do so. They thought that maybe it would be a fun <laughs> condition. However, in Lithuanian championship, I won and I won by more than five meters. So now they didn't know what to do. This competition was on Saturday. And on Sunday, I received a call saying, do you want to try to go for Olympics? Of course, I said yes. So then you ha have to again arrive to another city on Monday, and it will be a new competition, dual, but made only for you and that competitor. And both of you will be battling, dueling, who will have that last spot on Beijing Olympics team to represent Lithuania. And it was that moment what I needed to compete against my friend. And I knew that was only a chance for me to go or never, ever be Olympian. Tell me more. <laughs> um, so Monday, uh, we arrived to stadium. It was uh, some media people in the stands, only for two of us. And um, both of us had the different conditions to make the Olympic team. Her, she just needed to win against me. For me to go to Olympics, I needed to win against her and also again to do the B mark. So and again, need to show the distance, the mark. Um, the coin was tossed and um, my competitor was going first to throw. She did quite okay, Mark. I went after her. I had the better mark. 
Then for a second throw, she beat my mark. I went, I beat hers mark. So it was so intense. And we only had three throws. And that's it. So it was the third throw. She could not handle anymore that pressure. And um, uh, it was no mark. The javelin completely went out of sector. So now I know what I won against her, but I still don't have that mark, that B mark. And this is what the most important thing what you say to athletes when they perform, never ever think about the result. But now I needed to think about result <laughs> because this is only thing what was missing for me to go to Olympics. I needed those meters. However, something clicked and I never, I had experience before in so many years of competing, this flow states, this amazing um, confidence feelings when you go and compete and you're just loving and enjoying. But first time I got into the space where of calmness, of a complete alignment. I was going with my javelin to the runway thinking, shouldn't I be nervous right now? And even that thought, what usually destroys that, that flow, that focus, it didn't. It didn't destroy because for that moment, I was in the right place at the right time for the right thing. And it felt so good to, to know that because usually in life, we're always questioning, should I be doing this now but at that moment i had no doubt what this is my day and my moment and um, i already knew what i will make the mark and i did the mark um however i got the gift not only to be an olympian but this gift of having this feeling completely mesmerized the feeling what I shared with you about first seduction to that energy transfer, but this one completely set me as like, if I experience once this kind of feeling in my life, how can I replicate it to have it more? <laughs> so this is became my science and craft. That's so interesting. And it's interesting to me that when you described the actual throw, making the mark, which was achieving the B mark, that got you to the Olympics, and that was your last chance in your career to do that, that was almost incidental. The way you described it was almost incidental. The thing, your moment was not throwing the mark. Your moment was standing ready to go and remembering what that felt like, that sense of flow, that sense of calmness. That's fascinating. That's really fascinating. A question I often ask people about their unlocked moments is, what did you know in that moment that you didn't know before? in that moment of calmness? I didn't know that feeling of pure alignment because all the time uh, you always judging or evaluating what I did good, but most of the time what I didn't do <laughs> well. That's normal and natural performance. However, here there was no time and there's no space to do so. And it was the space only for being, being who you are, how you are and what you are and feeling complete enoughness and fullness at the same time and freedom to, to exist. That feeling was just uh, 
essence of, of uh, I think so, of my experience. And you let go of the javelin and it's flying through the air. What are you feeling? I, I could not believe, even though I knew what it actually is happening, that this moment, um, me being able to qualify. And for me, to be honest, going through those four years of working full-time and training, it was more to dedicate this title to my coach, Antana Celiacius. Because everybody were making fun a little bit of his approach, how he was training athletes and of his passion to the sport because he was so completely in love with whatever he was doing. And he always was creating very weird and funny exercises. One exercise I needed to learn how to do the turn with my hip and with my knees. So he asked me to run into the wall and on the walls kind of jump and do the spin to, to have those rotations. <laughs> so, um, but uh, he never had the Olympians in, in his, uh, in between his athletes, even though he was developing at certain stage, really, really well them to be and go uh, be amazing athletes. Uh, so I really wanted to represent what he had, Olympians. He trained people to become um, really high-level athletes next to his title. So you're achieving it for yourself, but you're also really achieving it for someone else too. Yes, and at that time, he already was, um, he passed. Uh, he passed in 2000, I think so, two or four. Yeah, 2002. It was right um, a year after, year and a half after I moved to US to train in USC. Um, so uh, we had special relationship, and I really, really wanted to um, make it this special. Tell me about the balance of mindset, the balance between the commitment and the uncompromising and the attack that you need to be, you know, not only elite in what you do, but in particular an elite athlete, in particular an elite throwing athlete, and also the, the sort of calmness and balance that you need to stay sane in that kind of environment. Is that something that you found easy or found difficult to balance through your sports career? I liked competing and I liked... Uh, what I, I like that feeling of javelin throwing, but yes, there are so many distractions <laughs> in uh, as a competing. So I was, I had quite vivid imagination. So I was creating a lot of visuals for myself. Uh, I had the ritual when, uh, and the, uh, you can see um, a lot of pictures what I have with javelin. It's always javelin on my shoulder, uh, resting before my throw, and I'm looking at it in a really intense way. And that was my routine of stepping into this Amazon <laughs> um, role where I ch was channeling 
all my energy, all my power and imagining how it is all going into this implement. And I was imagining with the rhythm, with the force where I can control and doing it um, with precision. So uh, this visualization was very, very important for me. And I use many other ones to keep setting myself to, to that feeling. What about you, by the way, in dancing? Do you use this, uh, any kind of rituals or how you set yourself up for the mindset? It's a really interesting question. It's a really interesting question. Um, in our training, I remember a moment partway through our journey when we moved from training in England to training in Italy. And our coach in Italy, who was a brilliant coach, really helped us to let go of a lot of things that we were thinking about. And I remember one particular thing, which sounds really counterintuitive, actually, if you think of dancing. And he said, you look at the world's top dancers and you think they're musical and they are musical, but you think that they are listening to the music and responding to the music in the moment. They're not because they are so good at what they do. You could play any piece of music and as their coach, I wouldn't want them to dance better to one piece of music and worse to another piece of music because they don't choose the music. So he said, you have to let go of this idea of, well, I'll listen to the piece of music when it starts to play and then I'll decide how I dance to it. He said, you can't compete like that. You can't compete like that. You have to have your routine. You have to put yourself in your, that moment and you can't be thrown by something outside of your control, like the floor is a little bit slippery today or that's my least favorite piece of music, or it's a bit too fast, or it's a bit too slow, or someone's in your way. And so that idea of really um, cutting down your field of vision to what's important right now, what's in my control, and you shut out all distractions around you is a really important thing, actually. Um, Mildred and I, my wife and I, uh, laugh sometimes because uh, we were doing one big international competition and sometimes depending on which country you went to um, they would televise these competitions and uh, I think it was a European or a world championship it might have been um, and we were just preparing you know standing opposite each other waiting for the music to start to dance our waltz which was the first dance that, that we had to do uh, and she was looking over my shoulder we were facing each other and on the big screen at the end was like half the wall was her face really close up and it slightly freaked her out. And she tripped on the very, very first step that we took just because there was this massive distraction of her face in sort of high definition glory in the, at the end of the, the room. And I think, yeah, over time, we learned to relax into, well, we're here to do the thing that we do. And in a funny kind of way, and particularly in a subjectively marked sport like dancing, you have to let go of the result. And I think I hear that in you. The time you knew you'd made the B standard was before you'd thrown the javelin. Yes. And also I want to a little bit reflect to what you just shared. Because uh, so often with my athletes or with uh, my clients, when we talk about high-level performance and stress, this is what we talk about, how to do the pure um, movement, what depends on simplicity, mm. on this pureness of, of relaxation, because usually it, it, we tend to want to do more, more, a little bit of more. This is a special moment, 
it's not enough what I already know for me to win. I need to do something extra, something more. And then how you said it to really strip yourself of all the distractions and then believing what, what you have, it's already enough. And this is what it is, the biggest uh, peak performance, what you can deliver at that moment. It's a lot of trust in, in the process, in that moment, in yourself to relax in the most stressful moment. Ah, this is also such a beautiful feeling. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing. I love that. And, and I think that it's one of the reasons why I love podcasting, because the two of us are here in a conversation like nobody's listening. And it doesn't matter whether nobody or one person or 100 people or 20,000 people are listening. It doesn't matter because you and I are just in a conversation. As soon as you start to go, oh, well, you know, imagine there are 100,000 people listening. We better be wiser. Well, no, they're listening because they want to just hear us talk to each other. And they want to, they're interested in what happens when people go exploring. And, and I learned a lot from some just brilliant, very natural podcasters that I've listened to over the course of the last year or two in particular. And, and, and I love listening to conversations where it just sounds like you're privileged to happen to be around the table with two people just having a chat. You know, that's, it's really, it's really, really interesting. When you're working with somebody who maybe hasn't come from a sporting background or they feel a sense of a pressure to deliver or pressure to perform, what do you do with them to help them to let go of that? Um, such a good question. Usually in my first session, I always ask, do they like at least sports? <laughs> to watch, not necessarily do. Um, because it's such a good uh, way to distance people from their situation and to see the same pressures, the same stresses, the same performance moments a little bit from the distance, a little bit more from the play perspective. And we all had the chance to see on TV many different kinds of performances. And then we can start relating, uh, okay, uh, how I would be doing in those moments. And then uh, we can um, play, uh, are you a coach who is advising the athlete who is in similar situation as you are? Now, what would you do or as an athlete or as a team member and kind of creating those different uh, role players or situations where you can start playing with that situation, where you can start seeing it as a full of possibilities to experiment. Um, and then uh, we offer different kind of techniques of uh, how to approach it. And, uh, but we keep uh, co-creating that experience, that new behavior, but the new feeling what we're trying to create for the presentation or for the meeting or for negotiations or the, for the sales uh, or for delegation, whatever they need to do uh, in those environments. So usually... Um, my clients really appreciate uh, those perspectives. Yes, I can come up with business examples or uh, art. However, sports is easier <laughs> for me. And then for people, uh, usually they relate a lot to, to those. Uh, and, and I've had a few people on the podcast over the, over the last year or two who 
our indifferent sports have been at the elite level in, in football, in rugby, and for Joe Jacoby uh, in, in whitewater canoeing. And with my own background as well, I, I am fascinated by the mindset of somebody who is not just trying to become really very good at what they do, like one of the best people they know at what they do. It is different. It is different to say, I want to become one of the top 20, the top 10, the top three, the top one people in my country or in the world at what I do. What do you think is the mindset that helped you to get into that space of saying, how could I become not just very good, but how could I become one of or the very best in the world at what I do? To be honest, um, myself, and I never believed that in myself. However, people around me believed that in me. And I, I respected their opinion. <laughs> Uh, and the most, what it was fun to work with them, to with those coaches. However, when um, I started competing and I could start seeing what if I will improve this or get stronger at that, I will be able to have the equal chance to compete against them. So that became as is my uh, inspiration what uh, to work more more precise and then to to keep um, improving my craft however all my life i thought i don't have much talent <laughs> um i'm just really good at learning things uh but that bubble was destroyed just a few years ago when i said that that uh, sentiment what I had uh, uh, to the coach who knew me from, from those days when I started Jalen. She said like, no, you were quite talented. You have quite good body for that. But uh, me, all my career in sports and in even a professional career, I really thought I am quite average. Only thing what distinguishes me is because I eventually learn it. It's so interesting. I had a great conversation with Ruth Gotian, who came on the podcast, who is a coach and an expert in people who are really, you know, world leaders in what they do in sport or in business or in science. And she was talking about an event she was at where she'd invited a lot of people she'd written about in her book called The Success Factor. And she was talking about, she talked to a Nobel Prize winner uh, and he went, I'm really looking forward to meeting the astronaut because they're incredible. And she went, but you're a Nobel Prize winner. And he went, yeah, but that's not such a big thing because like we all know each other. I know loads of people that won the Nobel Prize. And then she talked to the astronaut and he went, yeah, I know loads of people that have been to space because he knows all how many of them that are 30 odd that they've been. And she said, you've been up to space in a tin can. You're incredible. And he went, but I'm really looking forward to meeting the Nobel Prize winner because that's amazing. And there's something about sport that unless you are the world champion, the Olympic champion, there's always someone who's better than you. And, and I've talked about this on previous podcasts. It's a strange thing that elite sports people will understand. When you beat a person that is easy for you to beat, they might be incredibly good at what they do, but you are just demonstrably better. It's no great achievement for you to beat the person who is, you know, if you're in, I don't know, fourth place and they're in 20th place, no big deal for you to beat them. You're just trying to beat 
third place and second place and, and get the gold medal. It's a very different mindset. And other people watching that would go, well, I'd just love to be in that competition. I'd just love to be on that stage. And they don't sometimes understand the depth of the frustration of the athletes who wins the Olympic bronze medal and feels like they could have won the gold. And it's a very intense feeling that for a lot of athletes can destroy them actually, can destroy their mental resilience because they just don't know where to put it and not very many people understand how it feels. Do you resonate with that feeling of the frustration of not being where you wanted to be or not being even better at what you did? Um, and this is why I think so. it's so good that the more and more athletes also have a chance to work with sports psychologists because um, that focus on the result can completely destroy you because it's so much what it's not in your control. Like perfect conditions, perfect training, they are not equal or guarantee the gold medal. And this is the fact. And so many athletes, um, now I'm preparing quite a few athletes to Olympics in Paris, they feel like I want to do maximum and the best kind of training for me to be able to win that gold. However, our conversation has to keep coming back to let's focus on what is in your control. What learnings gonna be bringing you closer to that gold medal? What distractions, learning how to manage them, gonna uh, come closer for you to be able to be that relaxed or to uh, hit that kind of um, moment, create that kind of moment where you will have more chance of, of getting there. We're not talking about what will get you there because nobody knows. Like even uh, those peak experiences what we had in the past, it's very rarely what we can to the T replicate it again. It will be something different. We're going to feel a little bit different, the wind, the, the, the body, and we need to keep creating new experiences as good um, for, for those results to happen. But again, um, this is why I had amazing coaches both here in Lithuania and in the U.S. who emphasized not on the results, but on how I should keep improving as an athlete and as a person. And then the results will come and then we will see what will happen. So my notes uh, consist when I open my uh, training logs and books where my coach would write Dan Lang from USC. He would write to me, be Inga. And that's it. It's really powerful. And I'm very interested in the way you describe that mindset and focusing on what's in your control and not obsessing about the results. Oh, I know, and I'd, and I'd love you to talk a little bit about the health challenges that you've been experiencing in recent years and tell me about how that mindset played out in, in that situation. So take us back to when that all started, if you're, if you're happy to tell us that story. Uh, first of all, uh, for me to go through that experience, again, I was so lucky to have all the toolkits of 
how to manage myself through challenges, what, what I learned from sports. And I also had those experiences of how to keep overcoming difficult situations. And the difficult situations, what we're talking here about is when um, I went to the doctor uh, just to check up um, because I was not feeling quite right. And since I've been an athlete, so I am in tune with my body and I know when it's something is wrong with it. Um, and then um, he did the, the biopsy. Um, I didn't know what he was doing at the biopsy to me, but uh, he already saw the signs, what he needed to do that. And then he uh, set me in front of the monitor. He turned it on and he said, look, in your colon, you have a cancer. And you could see right away, like it was right in front of my face, this this black spot, huge black spot. Um, and uh, my mom had two cancers. So all my woman's line had a uh, cancer. So a little bit throughout my life, I was preparing what if, if I would have it, how it would look like for me. Um, how should I prepare for that? And this is again, this uh, athlete's mindset. Uh, it's not like we get consumed by um, what ifs and all those bad scenarios, but how we use those is to keep creating stronger ourselves to handle them. Because what that is the difference between positive and optimistic mindset, where positive we ignores all the bad and negative situation, but optimistic mindset finds the way how to deal with them. Knowing what all those things could be a distraction or something what um, could, could stop us in evolving, but keep challenging ourselves to find a way to, to deal with them, where we're going to find the strength, how we're going to approach it, what kind of actions it would look like, where we can have a better and better healing or, or getting stronger experiences through those situations because it's life. <laughs> life is not easy and life has lots of uh, situations what we need to learn how to deal with. Um, so that was my first experience with cancer um, and uh, uh, me, my first hardest moment was about it when I was imagining all my life because of the sports and Olympic experience as um, superhuman abilities. <laughs> I, I, I admired my body for that, what it was able to do and give me those kind of experiences. Suddenly I'm seeing this black spot on, the, on, the, on, the, on TV and I start hating my body. First time in my life, I really had this repulsion from me and myself. Um, and I knew what not the cancer, but this thought will destroy me. Because I need to live with my body going forward and to heal it and to actually take care of it. But I hate it. And that was really, really strong thought. So I knew what... I need to deal with this thought first and to learn how to 
um, befriend my body even with this um, flawed, with this cancer cells, what 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 are destroying me. Um, and I created space for myself to sit with that thought. And when I pushed myself to, to, to be with that thought and not to ignore it, I started asking myself, do I really hate my body? And did I ever loved my body before if I am hating it because I'm seeing in it something that I don't like? So through those explorations, I uh, realized what before I loved my body only for certain conditions. And love is usually unconditional. So then I thought maybe now I have a chance to truly learn how to love my body. It's such a profound experience and I'm so grateful to you for being so open and vulnerable in explaining how it felt to be you and the, the power of understanding how your athlete mindset translated to how you responded to such a, a challenging situation. And over time, how has that evolved and changed? Uh, this is a long journey in healing through cancers. And then uh, um, I had lots of different learning experiences too. And I'm quite open to talk about it because when I voiced what I have, the cancer, so many people around me start sharing what they had also, those experiences. And Usually when you hear word cancer, you associate right away with death because in the movies, in the media, that's all what kind of equals to um, how they talk about it. But with our advancement in medicine, um, actually there's a lot of chance to of survival, especially not being afraid of, of those um, diagnosis and go and checkups. And then uh, the sooner you will be able to find it, the, the easier that recovery is. So uh, I had um, second stage colon cancer and um, my chemotherapy was through pills. Uh, however, I didn't finish the uh, full um, journey with the chemotherapy because my body had some side effects, but also through some research, it was 50-50 a chance of uh, having effect anyways to go through the um, chemotherapy. So another uh, idea was, so when do I decide what I'm healthy now? <laughs> because every half a year, every few months, you have to keep get tested to see if there are still cancer cells in you. Even you operated, um, you'd never know if, if they're traveling in your body or not and if they keep developing or not. So um, just this year, I had second cancer. <laughs> uh, and it was a completely different one. It was breast cancer. Mm, and yes, I was very upset of uh, facing what I need to go through this again. Uh, and it was super upsetting, but 
I already had system how to take care of it, of myself. Uh, I already had a team of doctors and team of support. And uh, by going through the first experience where I was able in such a good way to become stronger, and I started a new sport as tennis. <laughs> so that's all what I cared about, how the surgery going to go and if it's going to affect my tennis game or not. That's all I cared about <laughs> this time. And I've spoken to a number of people on the podcast who've gone through cancer or similar very challenging health journeys. And the thing that is so commonly said is people say, well, I'm not special because so many people go through something similar. Uh, and I understand that very clearly. And it's easy to put people on pedestals for being heroes or battling or being brave and all of that. But what I think is really powerful is just to hear from somebody else who's going through something that might feel like what you're going through. And, and I've heard from people who've listened to these stories in the podcast and, and they've, they've heard back to me and they've said, it was really helpful just, just to hear somebody else who describes something that I feel too, and it helped me to feel less alone. So I really do appreciate you talking about what it feels like to be in that place. And the power, and you mentioned it, the power of the people around you and knowing that those people are there to support you, to help you, to, or sometimes just to be there. When you look back at the journey you've been on and where you are now, what's been most impactful for you in, in, in the people around you? I would be nothing without the people who are around me, for sure. Uh, especially my mom, my parents, um, my coaches. Uh, I'm still in touch with Dan Lang, the coach. Um, and then when I was diagnosed for the first time, he was keep reminding me who I am and how much strength do I have. Um, and then going through this experience because those experiences, those challenges usually consume us so much what we don't see anything anymore. We just start being uh, consumed by um, the fear of it. So all those people who really know you, they have ability and capability to bring you back to your strong and strength positions and show you but it's possible for you to go and then fight or to, to befriend those challenges. Um, and I think so. This is the true treasure and power of, of our, our as a community to be able to see those examples. And I think so. This is why the sports are so uh, attractive for people to see because you right away see the challenges what people have to go through in competitions and competing and how they go about it and then that reminds all of us in our challenges what we daily have to face they can do it maybe I can do it if I will try this way or that way so to have the team of experts who are gonna help me to go through it, uh, through those challenges, it's absolutely must for me. 
uh, I need to have a feedback <laughs> straight away and the best kind of feedback. Um, I love asking for help. That's, I think, so my superpower. <laughs> and this is what I'm trying to instill all my clients by and everybody whom I'm working with was like, what kind of support do you need? How are you going to ask it? Um, what will be the steps? It's, it's no way and need to do it alone, all those challenges. No need to get stuck. It's so much easier. And so many people are available to help us. So many. It's such a privilege for me to spend time with you and people like you in this deep, self-reflective type of conversation. And I started asking this question, which is my last big question. And it's a very hard question, but it's interesting sometimes what people say. And that is, is there anything that is clearer to you now clearer than when we started talking at the beginning of this conversation. I really liked your last question. <laughs> uh, Re-emphasizing again the power of connections, the power of engaging in this kind of conversations. Um, I really love how um, you develop the questions and the um, the rhythm what you take uh, in um, exploring um, our subjects because I was thinking so many times about those situations, but through every conversation, it brings uh, some new feeling or new experience for me or realization. And um, it's what well, it's only enabled because of uh, whom you're talking to. Uh, how they engage with you. So I truly appreciate you um, in, in, um, in this space and then having this conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That, that rhythm point is very interesting. You know, you're a dancer and then a javelin thrower, both of which are uh, activities that, where rhythm is really, really important to get your maximum impact. And I think that is also true in conversations. And I've started talking a lot more with people about the rhythm and the tempo and the pace and the pauses of a conversation between two people. And I think it's, it's a fascinating topic. Inga, how can people find out more about you and the work that you do? People can connect with me through LinkedIn or my website, allfounders.com. And uh, now we're also starting new Elevating Leadership Institute, where we will be offering those possibilities for leaders to connect, to share the experience, to support each other. So whoever is interested in this kind of themes and subjects, um, we're available. Fantastic. And we'll put the links in show notes so people can pick them up there. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For Olympic javelin thrower, performance and leadership coach Inga Stasilioniti, it was finding an astonishing calmness right before the most important throw of her life that made it clear for her that she was on exactly the right path. Inga, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for being so open, telling your story and joining me today on the unlock moment. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this conversation with an Olympian who has gone through all the highs and lows in sport and in life, 
then check out episode 94 with world-class rugby league player Stevie Ward. And if you resonated with how Inga drew on her inner strength when facing into cancer, check out episode 104 with recovered addict and celebrated NBA mindset coach George Mumford. And episode 90 for my conversation on sharing personal health challenges with Peter De Silva. Bookmark these episodes for later. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on The Unlock Moment.